0: Hey everyone, welcome to the second episode of Interesting Conversations. I'm your co-host, Maddie Clark, and today's guest is Jason Boivin. Jason has worked in the field of sport for over a decade. While attending McGill University for Engineering, Jason competed for the McGill Swim Team. After retiring as a competitive swimmer, Jason quickly transitioned into being a triathlete and swim coach, strength and conditioning coach, and teaching instructor. Jason built on his coaching skill set by pursuing and completing a master's in human kinetics focused on mental performance at the University of Ottawa. Jason currently resides in Ottawa and is a professional member of the Canadian Sports Psychology Association. He owns JB Fitness and Swimming Performance Consulting, and he brings a wide range of perspectives. Please welcome Jason Boivin. Welcome to Interesting Conversations, the second episode of this podcast. Uh, yeah, welcome.
1: Thank you, Maddie. Thank you for having me. I am uh, I'm happy to be number two.
0: Cool. Yeah. No, we're happy that you are number two. I'm, I appreciate that you uh, reached out and really was interested in, in joining. So, um, to start off, uh, I guess something that I find really interesting about you, and I was I was thinking about this recently, um, is that you're kind of like a multi-potentialite like you have you have a degree in engineering you have you were an athlete you were then a coach in primarily swimming and triathlons and you even created your own club uh, for triathlons or for triathletes you are a strength and conditioning coach and mental performance consultant so yeah, tell me about kind of like all of the range that you have and how you feel it impacts your practice or impacts your ability to be a coach.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great starting statement, and um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that you're interested in that in that part of of my my journey so far. It's uh it's certainly been a varied journey. I journey with a lot of range over the past fifteen years, I guess 17 years now. So yeah, where does it where did it start? It started with me swim coaching. And it so I, I grew up in the West Island of Montreal, uh, coaching kids at a swim in the summer. And I remember, I remember distinctly being like, okay, this is a lot of fun. I enjoy coaching kids. It's fun to you know, play around with them, joke with them. It's also difficult to try to keep them in line sometimes but it was it was a great experience. And then yeah, the engineering degree. Um it uh you know, I always loved building things as a kid and I always loved solving problems. I was pretty strong in, in the sciences and so I pursued that because for engineering it was, you know, building big things, it was solving problems, it was finding solutions and so That's what I chose to do. And then, I i mean, and that was fun. Like, I loved the degree. I loved the undergrad. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, You know, the style of learning fit with my style of, you know, I guess, the way my brain worked quite well. And so, that—that you know, I lucked out in that sense. And then coaching came back. So coaching, I started coaching again my last semester. And that's when I really fell in love with it. And so that's really what pivoted my career uh, the first time. And so that's when I started coaching triathlon uh, as a varsity athlete. So the, the triathlon club there at McGill would pick up um, the varsity swimmers and they'd get them hit, they'd, they'd get them to come and coach. Uh, they'd use their expertise. And so I, I was one of those people and it, it, it took off. It was amazing. I had so much fun. And so that's when I decided to pivot after, after graduating, decided to pursue coaching full time, took on a ton of coaching jobs, a ton of little things, uh, all at McGill. You know, and that's when I branched into SNC work, so I went sideways. Uh, my, my solution to finding full-time work was to go laterally versus go, uh, you know, go forward. i rather go up. And so, yeah, within a couple years, that was going really well. So same thing with the, with the Swim team and the business. Everything started there. Well, the Swim team came a little bit later, but yeah. And um, at that point, after a couple of years, uh, I started teaching. So that's when the department said, "Hey, um, you know, what you're doing so." Basically, students used to come and shadow uh, the SNC work from the different coaches in uh, the SNC teams, similar to what happens at U. Ottawa. And so, from there, um, I think that I built a reputation with the students as a coach that could be learned from, or was easy to learn from. And so, that's when the department said, "Hey, do you want to actually come and teach?" And so. That's, uh, that's when I started teaching, so I think I taught for four or five years. Uh, COVID put an end to that, unfortunately. Um, but um, that was an amazing experience as well. You know, trying to figure out how to build a, a course, figure out you know how to stick to the objectives of the curriculum for the undergrad, figuring out how to actually connect with the students, figuring out how to actually evaluate whether they've learned something or not. Um, you know, as, as as we know, as we've taken a lot of university courses, we know that sometimes you don't necessarily learn what you're being taught um, or remember. So, yeah, how can you actually, you know, take that information forward and scaffold it onto to learning more later and to applying it later? I think is a really important question. Um, and you know, even the way I'm just listing the questions now, you can see there's the engineering brain there. It's like, okay, here is a problem or a challenge. You know, how do we find a solution? Um, and then I guess the next major pivot was going into the MHK. So I remember I was sitting in the McGill uh, SportMed Clinic, I was getting treated, uh, I think for my concussion at that time, and the manager at the time, uh, Julie, came up to me and she's like, hey, I just saw this guy speak, I think you'd really like him, his name is Kyle Paquette. And so, and this was probably like in 2018, like it was a long time ago, and I was like, "Okay." I'll look him up, looked him up, reached out, he was receptive, you know, one thing led to another, came to visit the program, liked it, applied, got in, did the program, you know, you, you know the path at this point, right?
0: Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. And then, to uh, yeah, and I worked with him a lot, so, you know, one thing led to another. But, uh, so it's interesting to think back and, you know, realize how far it's, it's, or how long, how far back it's been since I've actually, you know, first met Kyle and reached out. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the major pivot where I knew that for me to improve my coaching, I needed to learn more and I wanted to learn more in that, uh, more mediated setting, um, and the program fit really well. So yeah, I mean, all, all, all this to say, um, I think every every part of those things that I've said has built into my experience today, or rather built into the way I practice today. Um, You know, really reflecting through, okay, how am I going to help a 15-year-old kid that's clearly not happy to be here when I'm 19 years old? Like, how am I going to connect with this kid? You know, what am I going to do? Similar with, you know, university students when I was in my mid-20s. Okay, what am I going to do to connect with them? You know, having jumped from a varsity athlete directly into a varsity coach the year after. like, what am I going to do to connect with those athletes? Um, you know, how am I going to approach it? And so all of those repetitions and all of these different scenarios, contexts has added up to the way that I practice today.
0: Yeah. So what, yeah, what is your perspective? Because uh, I know, well, we've done some reading on, Uh, the world of specialists it kind of feels like we're living in a world where you should specialize and so for someone like I'm similar like I like I I appreciate range I appreciate kind of um, finding a really big umbrella that I can then use all of my specializations uh, in and so what is your perspective on range or multi-potential lights or whatever word you want to use in this specialized world that we're living in and i say specialized world i guess i mean more yeah canada and the western world uh canada united states and maybe a little bit of Mm -hmm. europe Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i'm I'm gonna pull a Stu mcgill here and say my answer is it depends
0: yeah okay
1: (laughs) yeah so it depends i think it really depends on the context it depends on whatever you're trying to do um so let's say if you have a specific problem to solve uh in a specific context, then maybe a specialist is going to be useful in that moment. And it's going to be short term. Right, They come in, they solve the problem, they go they go home. Small contract. Um, and that person might make your career out of that. Right, They might solve a very specific problem, and that's all they do. And that's OK. If they're happy with that, if they do a good job, that's OK. And they're, and they're going to build peripheral experience through doing that anyway, Right, if you keep solving the same problem in different contexts. Right? So there's a, there's a little bit of range there already. Um, but yeah, I think one thing that I, I'm trying to do with myself with regards to this topic is I realize that I have a massive amount of range in, um, in my career so far, though it all, it's all within the context of sport. And so, you know, there's, there's always bigger bins somewhere else, right? There's a corporate bin that exists. There could be other bins, like maybe the military, you know, that's, or the government, like that's, those are different bins. And so... Or even you can go as you know so far as to say even d- different corporate industries operate differently, and so you know my my range is still within that uh, that sport area or sport context, and so I think I think having range is smart. I think building up range, especially at the start of a career, is smart because having that perspective uh, is going to help you make links. Um, from different perspectives, which then helps you catapult yourself into new contexts in which you might not know what to do. Um, so I think I think that's why it works well when I start a new context, and it's like, oh yeah, like I just sort of know what to do, or sort of feel feel it out, and it kind of works right away. Um, and it comes from that range, that underpinning foundation of, um, just, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like knowing that you don't know, or having an idea.
0: Or realizing- like, I'll try this. Yeah. I was gonna say, or realizing that the more you know, the less you actually know. <laughs> or the more you learn, the less you realize oh, yeah, you know. Oh yeah, for
1: sure. Oh yeah, there, there's a quote about that. It's a, We've talked about it in class before. What is it? Is the island of knowledge grows, So does the, the shore of uh, something, the shore of something. I forget the exact quote. You can Google it here.
0: That was pretty good, though. If you had got that whole quote, that just would have been a mic drop right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, eh?
0: And so where does, I know you're looking, uh, looking up the quote right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that mm-hmm. your range has been specifically in sport. So other than problem solving, or maybe it is problem solving, that's the big thing that transfers over. But wher- mm-hmm. where does engineering fit in? Maybe I answered the question.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um so the quote we'll uh circle back. As yeah. the island of knowledge grows, so do, so do the shores of our ignorance. Yeah, I, I like that quote a lot. Um but back to your engineering point. I, I remember when when I first decided to go into coaching uh, I got the question often for the first couple of years, well, are you going to go back? You know, are you still going to try to go back to engineering? And I'm like, why? Why would I go back? Like, I'm doing something I really enjoy right now. You know, like, why are you projecting your judgment of coaching onto me? You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, you know, where. So where does it fit in? I mean, as, as a profession, in and of itself, it doesn't fit in. Like, I'm not going to go back. I, I mean, well, Never say never. I, I, I highly doubt it. Um, but I think I use what I've learned and the way I've learned it all the time. Back to that idea of, okay, here are the parameters. You know, here are maybe the equations that I've figured out. So ways of doing things, in our case. And, you know, which ways can I apply to solve this problem? Where to solve this challenge? or to help find a solution? And so it, it definitely helps, you know, with a perspective on trying to look at things from that lens, where it, it, less judgmental. It's like, okay, this is the way this is, perfect. You know, put that into a box. We'll figure it out. Mm. You know, versus getting wrapped up in the emotionality of it, though, that is important sometimes.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, this is a leading question for you. But because um, mm-hmm. you mentioned, like a big part of your of en- being an engineer and having that, uh, I guess, uh, frame of mind is solving problems. And so how mm-hmm. could that solution focus lens create conflict in your coaching philosophy or your ability to work with athletes, coaches, teams, etc. cetera.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good question. You know, something we learned early, especially when we were receiving our counseling training was, you know, it's not about finding a solution. And so I think finding a solution for a person in session does not equal, and there's a, you know, engineering pun, does not equal um, finding a generalized solution for the situation you're in with this person. Because the solution might be to listen and empathize and validate versus finding an actual solution. And so there's different tiers of solutions or so those solutions are different. And so when, when I talk about solution, I'm talking from my perspective versus mm-hmm. from their perspective.
0: Because I find, like even from working with clients, like I find often people will say, I just need a solution, like just give me a strategy. I'm feeling really stressed, just tell me what to do. And so I can also be kind of a a problem solver, which can also be problematic uh, if I'm like, oh, you want a solution? Okay, let's try and think of like, let's think of that solution for the problem, but that's not always what works best. So how do you manage that? Like, how do you manage clients saying, I, I got a problem. Give me the solution. I don't want anything else.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So it's happened to me a few times. And funny enough, I was having this conversation yesterday, with this exact topic. And I, I remember in session, a client literally saying, please tell me what to do. And my answer was, no. <laughs> just, just to be clear, I very rarely say no. Like, I, I, I come from a customer service perspective as well, like I've managed for many, many years, and I will, at all costs, avoid saying the word no. It's always a deflection into something else. Um, but in this case, I, you know, I wanted to be very clear. It's like, no, I will not give you a solution. I'm here to support you in finding your own solutions. And so we work together, even though the person might be emotive, we work together in trying to figure out either a strength or maybe um, a potential barrier. You know, awareness is a big piece. And then eventually working to some kind of actionable item that they could do that is clearly helping them, you know, relieve whatever challenge they're, or overcome whatever challenge they're experiencing in that moment. And, you know, the reason we don't give solutions In those cases, is because they're not theirs; they're ours. They're the practitioner solutions. So are they going to stick? No. Is it going to? And then you know, on on a deeper level, it's not going to help the person figure out what to do, right? If if you can't fish, I'm not going to keep fishing for you, right? I eventually have to teach you how to fish. And so, in that moment, is a wonderful learning opportunity for them in this case, probably with a pretty high amount of frustration, uh, but a learning a learning opportunity nonetheless to figure out how to deal with it on their own through our guidance versus our solutions. And that and, and that breeds autonomy, right? And that breeds their own solutions, and that, that sticks so much better.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I can't agree more, um, or I couldn't agree more with that. And I think, yeah, sometimes people, you know, they have to learn that sometimes me giving you a solution isn't going to stick. Like, it's a process, right? You're, you're a guide. You're on a journey with them, not just, you know, a one-hour session and never see them mm-hmm. again. <laughs> Hopefully not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then I think once you've built a rapport where, okay, you know that they now have the practice and the uh, ability to come up with their own solutions and to solve things on their own, every now and then, you might give them a directive if it's right for the moment and for the context, and I think that's okay. Like it's it's not never give advice, even though one of my rules is don't give unsolicited advice. It's if it's contextually relevant and right in the moment, like if you can check all the boxes and you feel it's right, then you know, you can do it once in a while. I think that's okay.
0: Okay, so this uh, is uh, a little bit off topic, but still kind of on, on topic. Um, so I'm wondering, going back to all of your experience. So you are certified as a as a sports-specific coach. You're certified as a strength and conditioning coach. You're certified as a mental performance consultant. So all very, and, and sports-specific. So it's been discussed that um, it is seen as unethical to wear two hats at the same time. And so how do you manage those different hats and and not like because you're trying to build connection with your client as well or with with a a human being so if building that connection is helping them out with say uh, a calf issue that they're having or like something more muscle specific how do you navigate that
1: it's a good question um so uh, for clarity uh we are currently professional members of the cspa not certified mental performance consultants. Yes, yes, it's, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. G- Caveat number one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Two, but we will be. We will be. We're studying that for that. Correct. Yes, now, so.
1: exactly. Yeah, we we are merging with the American Association. Um, but so, how do I wear the different hats, and how do I stay in my lane? So, uh, I'll start with one of the objectives that I had in coming back to school or going back to school and taking this program in particular was to help my coaching. So a lot of the skills that we learn are applicable everywhere, personal, professional, and so that isn't a conflict of interest or that isn't a dual role when I use a counseling micro skill coaching on the pool deck. Like that's that's not a conflict. Um, that's just enhancing my ability to coach, and so there's no there's no conflict there. Um, similarly, uh, depending on the different Organizational bodies or certification bodies. Um, some of them do allow a dual role. So, for instance, when I coached at McGill and also when I coached at U. Ottawa, I was both the SNC coach and the Sport Specific coach for the swim teams, um, and that was accepted. Uh, in some contexts, it worked, and some it doesn't. Right? It's not. It's not for every situation. But in with in my case, it worked. Uh, it worked, especially at McGill, it worked very well. Um. And from the NPC lens, we know that uh, we you know the the association has decided that you know, a dual role is not um, in the cards, right It's not something that we want to pursue or encourage or is it allowed quite frankly. And so yeah, how do I navigate that? And it's definitely happened on a call with clients where they're going to talk about something physical or they're going to talk about you know some kind of program that they're doing, let's say sNC. And I do have to figure out how to navigate that, and you know, in the in those moments, I don't give advice as if, or I don't intervene as if I were uh, an SNC coach. I intervene as an MPC, and that would be you know, for example, facilitating or encouraging communication with the actual coach. That's their coach for that discipline. So, if a client is um, talking to me about an injury, physical injury, well, I'm going to help them figure out what barriers they have uh, to communicating with their physio, or to making a physio appointment, or to communicating with their coach, and help them through that so that they can do that faster, which will inevitably, hopefully, help them, you know, get better or address the the injury faster. Um, and and I'm content with that. Like that, that makes sense to me because if I'm helping you facilitate communication, learn how to to communicate better, well, that's going to work in any context. And you know, we know that we can all learn how to communicate better. So, you know, I'm happy doing that.
0: Okay. So now going back to range, and maybe this is a controversial question, but do you think that the ethics around being a specific type of practitioner is too focused on a world that's focused on specialization?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting question. I think it'll be interesting to see how the goalposts have moved so far over the past couple of years of us being around. I think it would be interesting to look back and see how the goalposts have moved over the past couple of decades. And it's going to be interesting to see where they move in the future. Because I think the ethics changes over time. And so we're just at a particular moment right now where you know, being a, let's say, for the order of psychologists, it's very clear-cut. They're very established. Their guidelines and ethics are, are very concrete. And, you know, the role of NPC is a bit in flux. And so they're trying to find their place, also in a very specific scope and niche. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. But I think we're at a place where we are now because we're trying to find that space. Um, and saying, okay, this is our lane. You know, this is where we operate and we can't go outside it is a result of us trying to carve out the space that we think we should occupy uh, in the market.
0: Yeah, yeah, it kind of goes that for a political answer?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> also, yeah, the, the just the fact that It goes back to the whole general versus specific argument is very contextual and depends. So it might it maybe it is more beneficial for NPCs to really hone in and really make sure that they're specialized in order to grow, and and then maybe there'll be more flexibility from there. But, you know, carving out a lane is important. Like you need to have a lane to switch lanes.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I, I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head there where it's like, okay, we're, we're going to be specific now so that we can make a name for ourselves, carve out the lane, make sure everyone understands this is exactly what we do. And that, and that increases our value because it's, it's so concrete. You know, this is what we do. And then that evolves and evolves and evolves, and it might open up later in time. It might not, but again, these things change over time. And so, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. But yeah, I think it's important to, to stay, you know, have a, have a an appropriately narrow and specific scope to understand exactly what we do, that then elevates us uh, and carves out a. a, a a good chunk of space
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think too it's it's beneficial to to a client or to a to an athlete or whoever is looking for a service because they're like okay like for example uh shout out to zach yantha uh so he was my yeah strength and conditioning coach and so he was my strength and conditioning coach and like that was my he was my person he was my strength person and then i had like Helen, Helen Cooper, she was my track coach, like that was my person in terms of my track coach, like, you don't need to have one person that does all of the things. Sometimes it's better to, well, I think it's better to build a team, so that you can create all of the things, very general, all of the things, but uh, yeah, you can create a really strong team around you. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it could even be more specific than that, right? You can have a strength coach for for plyo and sprinting, right? You can yeah. have a strength coach for, um, you know, off-season. You can have a, a track coach for sprinting. You can have a track coach for off-season. You can have a track coach for middle distance, right? Like it, Yeah. It, again, it ebbs and flows. Like you can get as specific as you like. Um, And, and I'm sure we're going to see that too. And I'm sure we already see that. We, maybe we just don't talk about it that much, but I'm sure there's certain NPCs that are very specific in the work that they do uh, and in, in the solutions that they, they provide where it's like, nope, this is exactly where my lane is. I know where it is. This is what I do. And, um, you know, that's, there's a little bit of business built into that too. And right? if 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 we're very broad, then you're not going to really reach or touch or, you know, be inspired to work with any particular client, right, if, if you're not specific enough. so. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And also those specialists, they help out the generalists because say you're like – say you're a general – so you're a mental performance consultant that doesn't focus on like a specific mental skill or mental process, process, um, but you're like, okay, I wanna learn about flow. Well, I'm gonna go look up the flow expert and then see how I can integrate. Yeah, so there's room for both generalists and specialists in this world.
1: Yeah, even, even within the different general and specialized areas.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, super cool. Um, okay, I know we're running out of time, and I'm going to drop a pretty big question on you uh, okay. <laughs> for the last two minutes, but I guess I'm just one, like so you, you've been an entrepreneur for 15 years, 10 years, 17 years? Mm,
1: JBFS started in 2011, I think? No, okay. 2014.
0: Okay, okay. 2014, so- yeah, so seven years. So you mentioned at the beginning of the uh, of the episode eight that... Eight, okay, okay. We'll round yeah. it. Let's say 10. I, guess I keep forgetting um, it's
1: 2020.
0: 2022. Oh, I know. What year are we in? Is it 2020 mm. or 2024? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, so you mentioned uh, that you've had some people say like, oh, why don't you go back to engineering? Like that's, there's a, you know, you can get a comfortable job doing that. Um, but instead you've gone the entrepreneurial route via... Uh, coaching. So which can be maybe not as stable or like, the, you know, any entrepreneurial uh, pursuit is not always stable, <laughs> It is not stable no. at first, for sure. No. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice or maybe, um, yeah, just advice for any listeners that are pursuing some sort of entrepreneurial endeavor and how to kind of tune out the noise of Why don't you just go get a stable job? Mm -hmm. Now you have one minute.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's a good question. Uh, How do you turn out the noise? I think it's important to understand what your objectives are and then to understand the employment landscape and to see which type of employment fits best with your objectives. For example, I was on a, a a call last week, you know, talking about some business things, and some of the goals that people put forward with regards to entrepreneurship actually fell into bins that would probably be better suited for large organizations. And I said that, I was like, look, what you're saying here would actually be easier to do with an organization. So why don't you go do that? Right? Go find a heart, go find a, a job, you know, with a, with an org that can eventually make some difference. Or some kind of difference or some kind of impact rather. And so I think identifying your objectives is really important. I think understanding the different types of lifestyles is really important. Understanding uh, what level of risk you're comfortable with is really important. And then finally, I think the most important thing is understanding where your strengths and gaps are, because if, if you're really good at what you do, let's say you're an amazing NPC, that doesn't mean you can make it as an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur means that now you need the range to understand how to operate business, which is completely different. And, you know, I am a terrible business person. Yes, I own a business, but I don't do any marketing. <laughs> like, and that's a huge component to building a business. And so it's something that, you know, if for me, if I ever plan to expand and grow, like I'm gonna have to start hiring people or taking on partners that can fill the gaps that I have. And that's a reality. Like right? that's the only way up. You know, or it stays the size it is now and it and it goes along and chugs along, you know, happily. And so I think, I think that's really under, uh, important to understand that, you know, running a business isn't only about creating your product and delivering your product. There's so much more to it, um, and th- I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. They realize, oh, I have to do everything. I have to do one hundred percent of everything. And, you, know, you don't even know, and you only really know ten percent of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think, I think that's, that's been my biggest learning, and I think that's the most important thing. And so, you know, you see it all the time, especially with startups, where, you know, someone has a really good idea, and, you know, they find a partner or two that are, are good, you know, maybe a marketer, maybe an operator, maybe, um, you know, a business person, maybe uh, someone in, in finance or accounting. Like, they, they link up with someone that can help complement and build a business. Right? If you're the ideas guy, well then you gotta find someone that can pull the trigger. So yeah, I think that's 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 my advice. And then, you know, all, all to say is you know, hire a business coach. <laughs> I think I think that would also be a, a piece of advice, a piece of unsolicited advice. Yeah, if you're gonna be an entrepreneur and you wanna do it yourself, hire a coach. Still know what to do. A lot better than you do. That's for sure.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah no I, I think you know this happened with Kyle as well but this conversation maybe I don't know maybe I'm subconsciously mm-hmm. doing this intentionally but uh, yeah no we've gone full circle that you know it's it's uh, you can be a generalist in a specific field but you can only be so general mm-hmm. and so it's important to have that integrated support mm-hmm. team. Whether that's in sport, in business, in mm-hmm. life.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are the people around you helping you, you know, are, are they supporting you and are they helping you grow? You know, are, are they, are you all going towards the same objectives? Do you hold the same values?
0: Or just, or it doesn't even have to be the same values, just similar values. Like, are your values aligned? Because you still want to have some di- diversity as well
1: yes absolutely so okay here's I have have an interesting example where so my best friend group is the group of swimmers that I grew up with through high school well through elementary school through high school and also through university the one thread we all have in common is swimming we all swam for you know 10 plus years and we all now work in different industries And so our common thread is this shared experience. But the shared experience has also developed us as humans. But now that we're all in different areas, uh, professionally, it's really, really interesting. Right, it's so interesting, because we're all in different places. But we all just get each other. We all just understand each other on a fundamental level, and get along.
0: Well, you've gone through things together. Like you've gone through the worst races of your life together. You've gone through the best, the best times in sport together. You've gone, well, probably gone through all sorts of different emotions. And so when you build that connection, you know, connection drives everything. And so then you can just bring in your skills to develop something super awesome. Whether that's because your friend's an architect and you're building a house or your friends, uh, a strength and conditioning coach, and you want to stay in your MPC lane for this particular client.
1: Yeah. Um, No, yeah, it's it's good.
0: All right. Well, uh, I, I know we're definitely past time here, but I, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I found it very interesting. So hopefully the listeners did as well. Um, yeah. And thanks so much for for tuning in and uh, well, and and dropping in and being uh, a guest for yeah, for, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for uh, the fir- the second episode of interesting conversations.
1: Maddie, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it as well.